Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Tonight's uh, message is going to be called False Pillars, <clears throat> and uh, I want to start out with a little bit of a story that I heard just recently, and it was about an ancient king who wanted to have an elaborate archway built at the entrance of his palace. In his kingdom, there was this architect who was advanced in his skill, so the king commissioned him to design and to build it. The architect chose to design an archway that was never built before. After long research, design, and contemplation, the architect decided to build a flat archway. And he was confident in his math and the structural soundness of of building it. When the project was complete, it was revealed to the king. And never seeing a flat archway before, he questioned the safety and said that he would never walk under it. The architect reassured the king that it was safe. He showed him his math. He showed him that it was true and that it would not fail. But the king ordered him to have a pillar put underneath the archway. in the middle of his beautiful archway. So the architect tried to rebuttal again, and the king explained that if he didn't, he would have his head removed from his body. With extreme disappointment, the the architect designed and made a strong pillar to put under his arch, where for years the king walked under it without fear and confident that the pillar's ability to protect him from the arch falling on him. So after some 25 years, the architect passed away. And upon his death, he instructed his wife to deliver a letter to the king. And she was faithful and brought it to the king and then left. After the king read it, he was puzzled. As the architect simply wrote, look at the top of my pillar. Curiously, the king complied And he was shocked to find out the architect designed the pillar to be a half inch short of the top of his archway. And thus, it supported nothing. So for all those years, the king, Urzat's faith, was in a pillar that changed nothing from what the architect designed. Now, for those that don't believe in God, and even for many that do, like the king, They are believing in false pillars, and they provide a sense of security, not only in this life, but in their eternity. And in reality, these false pillars do nothing and fall short of what the architect designed. So tonight, we're going to see if we can trust in the architect of life, Jesus Christ. Now, 
this is not a plug for children's ministry. Vinny did not put me up to this. <laughs> so, but I've been, uh, <laughs> I've been in children's ministry for most of my Christian life. I've taught everything from uh, kindergarten all the way through high school. Um, and I have come to believe that we do ourselves a great disservice by not challenging the children to recognize false pillars and to by teaching them on how to inspect the architect's uh, truth. In other words, the Bible, by studying the Bible. We do this by comparing the architect's math, the Bible, and showing them um, how some pillars, like junk science, um, social, emotional, and political beliefs, have never disproven the Bible, but rather, just like the king, when a thorough inspection is done, it only supports what the architect has designed. So I encourage the students to question and validate the architect's math to the false pillars. I explain to them that God is not afraid to be questioned by us or by any other genius that believes or doesn't believe in him. <clears throat> now, in order to keep my students' attention, I often walk amongst them. Joe probably can testify to this. You've got you to gotta keep it interactive. So sometimes I sit down on the floor, sometimes I'll use props, uh, sometimes humor, anything to keep them engaged. My classes are very interactive, um, and I'm hoping I don't have to do that tonight for you guys. But during Sunday school, I want to give the Holy Spirit the liberty to move throughout the class. It's very important. I believe that the Holy Spirit is present, even in children's ministry, and every one of those kids is experiencing it in some way or another. They have questions. So <clears throat> I make sure to address and answer any question that comes up. And some are deep. Some, they want to know what happens after we die. Some, they want to know what happens to my pet, as Joe had a question and answer last time, when they die. Um, some are water demons. They want to understand the realm of spirituality. Um, and yeah, <laughs> but I'm amazed at, their, I'm amazed at the, what their minds comprehend. And sometimes we, we need to understand that, build into them sooner than later because we know that ha what happens later. But yes, some questions are silly and meant to provide comedic humor. There's always that one kid. I was him when I was little. Um, but most of them are genuine, come from minds and hearts, uh, that want the truth. And they want a truth that will help reassure them of what they're being told and want to believe. And I will emphatically point them back to the Bible because we know that um, in the public and private educational institutions right now, they're doing everything they can to try to invalidate that truth. So, let's kind of talk about the Bible. And uh, this, <laughs> this is, uh, this, the Bible is really what? Just a book that was written by a bunch of men that wanted to control a population. Um, so I figured we could pull out some notable facts about it, right? And to this date, the Bible is still the number one bestseller. 
And that's pretty good for something that's just a hoax um, and a book of lies, right? So it contains history. It contains um, entertaining stories. It contains poetry. It contains, uh, contains philosophy and personal letters. But more than that, the Bible is the infallible word of our creator of the universe, God. It was written over a period of 2,000 years by 40 different authors. And this was over in uh, three continents, which were Asia, uh, Europe, um, and Africa. The authors wrote in three different languages. The Old Testament was predominantly written in Hebrew, um, and then some Aramaic. Um, the New Testament was written in Greek. If this was a man's attempt you know, to create this book, it was his attempt to create a hoax to gain control over a population, it would have been impossible to coordinate those efforts. There was no way for these authors to even know each other and collude. These facts alone make the Bible a one-of-a-kind and defy natural explanation. If we had to speak of one single purpose of the Bible, I would say that it would be to reveal the nature of God and to identify him for the purpose of developing a relationship with us, his creation. There are many things that we would never know about God unless he told them to us. Now, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, correcting, and training in righteousness. When we read the Bible and we read the prophetic portions of the Bible, they serve the purpose to glorify God and to prove that he is the one and only true God. Among the books ever written, the Bible stands alone and is absolutely a unique book made up of 66 books. One of its most re remarkable qualities is, its, the, is this collection of books is completely, uh, or excuse me, complete, its complete unity of the message from beginning to, en beginning to end, despite having many different authors writing over centuries and on a variety of situations and subjects. So here's some additional facts about the Bible. It was written by shepherds, kings, scholars, fishermen, prophets, a military general, and a cupbearer, and a priest, all penned under the influence of the Holy Spirit. They had different and immediate, excuse me, different immediate purposes for writing, whether recording history, giving spiritual and moral instruction, or pronouncing judgment. They composed their work from palaces, prisons, wilderness, and places of exile while writing history, laws, poetry, prophecy, and proverbs. Evidence of human elements in it is that they wrote expressing their personal emotional, um, excuse me, their personal emotions, expressing their anger, their frustration their joy, and their love. Yet despite this marvelous array of topics and goals, the Bible displays a flawless internal consistency. 
it does not contradict itself or its common theme. The authors are simpatico with the creator who ordained this plan and recorded it in scripture even before it unfolded in history. Now, some additional facts, just fun stuff that people always love. Um, the quantity of New Testament, New Testament manuscripts um, compared to ancient literature. There are over 5,000 Greek manuscripts. There are 8,000 Latin manuscripts, 1,000 manuscripts in other languages. So in contrast to a typical number of existing manuscript copies for any of the other works of the Greek and Latin authors, such as Plato, Aristotle, Caesar, Tacticus, when you consider them, they range from 1 to 20. So given that, scholars regard the New Testament to be 99.5% accurate. The unity of Scripture demonstrates, demonstrates its supernatural inspiration of the Lord's staggering love for his creation. The Father proves this over and over again in the book of Isaiah, in uh, chapter 42, verses 8 and 9. Uh, we are told by God through the prophet. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So God is saying that he alone can declare the future And for hundreds of his prophetic predictions, they have all been fulfilled with absolute precision. And while others still wait to be fulfilled. So I wanted to take some time to look at the prophetic existence of Israel. No other people or nation have ever been through what the Jewish nation has been through. In ancient history... You had the Egyptians, the Amalekites, the Midianites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Amorites, the Flashlights, the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, Babylonians, excuse me, the Persians, the Romans. The nation of Israel has always been persecuted by its neighbors. More recently, in 1942 through 1945, Nazi Germany, under the direction of Hitler, terminated uh, or excuse me, exterminated millions of Jews. In total, the Nazis would wipe out about a third of the world's Jewish population. We've seen the pictures of the Holocaust. We know it's real. This is still much, there's still much turmoil uh, in Israel today. They are hated and whole nations want to try to wipe them off of the face of the earth. Those that attack them today are Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Hamas, the Islamic Jihad, Hezbollah, etc. Um, but this hatred and persecution of Israel is only a hint of what will happen in the end times. And Matthew 24, 
uh, 15 through 21 tells us. Uh, so when standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down and take anything out of the house. And let no one uh, in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for a pregnant woman and a nursing mother. Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath. And this is what you know really kind of puts it together. But for there, excuse me, for then there will be a great, dist- uh, great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never be equaled again. So this is what is to come. This is the prophetic horror that Israel is still yet to face. But remember, God gives us prophecy that we may know he exists outside of time and knows all things. It also proves the integrity of Scripture and promises spiritual blessing. So I wanted to take a look at the latest round of persecution which began in Israel um, when it was reconstituted in 1948. And I want to take seven prophetic scriptures about Israel, um, their rebirth. And some of the following will be repetitive, but that's deliberate. So I apologize for that. So Isaiah spoke of Israel being reborn one day. 200, excuse me, reborn in one day, 2,649 years prior to it happening. He says, before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who has ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day? Or a nation be brought forth from, brought forth in a moment? Yet, no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. So Isaiah foreshadowed the rebirth of Israel in 1948, and he described it about giving birth and going into labor, and he speaks of the country being born in one day. This accurately describes what happened on May 14, 1948, when the Jews declared independence from Israel as a united and sovereign nation for the first time in 2,900 years. During that same day, the United States issued a statement recognizing Israel's sovereignty. Only hours beforehand, the United Nations mandated expired, ending British control of the land. During a 24-hour span of time, foreign control of the land of Israel had formally ceased and Israel had declared its independence, and its independence was recognized by other nations. Modern Israel was literally born in one day. Isaiah said the birth would take place before there would be labor pains. And in, uh, excuse me, and that too is precisely what happened. A movement called Zionism began in the 1800s, and it encouraged Jews worldwide 
to move back to Israel, uh, but then it was Palestine. Within hours of the Declaration of Independence in 1948, Israel was attacked by some surrounding countries, uh, excuse me, by the surrounding countries, which were Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. When regarding his, uh, Isaiah 66, you, you got to keep in mind that Israel's status as a sovereign nation was established and re reaffirmed during the course of a single day, and that it was born of a movement called Zionism. And that this declaration of independence was not the result of war, but rather the cause of it. Isaiah 66, no, I'm sorry, I'll skip that because I already read it. Okay, uh, moving on, uh, we have Ezekiel received a vision that Israel would be brought back to life 2,577 years before it happened. So Ezekiel had a vision, um, and, he, and this vision he received from God uh, as a scattering of dry bones. Okay? Uh, in the vision, God tells Ezekiel that the bones, Israel, would be brought back to life. Just as Ezekiel had promised those years ago, the Jews were uh, brought back to the land and the country of Israel was brought back to life. Israel established sovereignty, uh, sovereignty in 1948, a mere three years after the end of the Holocaust, during which time the Nazis killed about one-third of the world's Jewish population. I'm not sure, but I wonder if the dry bones were some sort of, uh, not prediction, but um, symbolism of the... Uh, uh, the people that were, the Holocaust that took place. Um, so, moving on. <laughs> Roughly between 2,550 years to 2,698 years prior to uh, it happening, Amos said that there would be a time when the exiles of Israel would be gathered again to their land and not uprooted again. Amos lived about 2,700 years um, ago, and during that time, the people of Israel were being forced out of their homeland by succession of foreign invasions. Despite many centuries of exile, many Jews have returned to Israel to reclaim the sovereignty of the portion over a portion of their ancient homeland. This declaration happened in 1948. It triggered a war surrounding countries which objected to the presence of the Jewish state. We know that on May 15, 1948, um, the armies from the surrounding countries invaded. Uh, Azam, and I hope I'm saying this right, Azam Pasha, the Secretary General of the Arab League, said that this war would be a war of extermination and uh, excuse me, a momentous massacre that will be spoken of like the Mongolian massacre and the Crusades. Similar quotes were uttered by others during the war of 1948 and 49 and during the two major wars that followed. But despite that, Israel, only the size of New Jersey, 
was able to defend itself and prevailed against the, uh, those armies. And it prevented itself from being uprooted again. And this is exactly what Amos was saying. Oops, excuse me. Again, 2,577 years ago, prior to it happening, Ezekiel said that Israel, which was at the time of Ezekiel, was divided into two, it was divided into two kingdoms, but Ezekiel was saying that it would be reestablished as one kingdom. The prophet, um, the prophet uh, people, excuse me. <laughs> this might have been a shock to Ezekiel because when he lived 2,600 years ago, at the time the people of Israel had already divided themselves into two separate kingdoms. And both kingdoms had been conquered by foreign invaders and forced uh, many of the people, including Ezekiel, into exile. But the Jews had uh, reclaimed their sovereignty in 1948, and when they did, they did so as a united people, creating one nation. Again, we have uh, 2,574 years ago, Jeremiah said that the second time Israel would become a state, that it would be more impressive than the first. In Jeremiah uh, 31.10, the prophet said that God would one day gather the Jews back into Israel and that he would watch over them like a shepherd. <clears throat> there is evidence that God intended, <clears throat> excuse me, that God indeed watched over and reestablished the nation of Israel. Hours after the declaration of 1948, the surrounding countries attacked hoping to replace the Jewish state with an Arab state. These countries are much larger than Israel, but Israel prevailed, war, uh, prevailed uh, in that war and was able to capture additional land, increasing their land, side, uh, land size by 50%. Israel also prevailed uh, in the two other major wars that followed. Now, Moses um, said that Israel's military would be more powerful than their enemies some 3,348 years prior to the 1948 and 1967 wars. In Leviticus 26, 3, or excuse me, 7 through 8, the Bible says that the army of Israel would have a supernatural power prevailing, um, uh, power to prevail during the times of conflict in the people or if the people were obedient to the Lord. And, it, you know, we think of the walls of Jericho. That was uh, definitely supernatural. The Bible passage says that five people would be able to chase away a hundred people and that a hundred people would be able to chase away a thousand. Within hours of Israel's declaration of independence, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and Lebanon invaded Israel. The combined population of those was at least 20 million, uh, th those countries was 20 million at the time. 
Israel had fewer than one million Jews. So quite a difference in uh, the size of the nations. During the war of 1967, Israel attacked the air force bases of those surrounding countries and took control over Jerusalem for the first time in about 2,000 years. They also seized additional territory uh, during that war. The war only lasted six days. On October 6, 1973, Israel was attacked by Egypt and Syria. Other countries later joined in, but the Jews were able to push back by attacking armies, occupy, and they also um, wound up occupying land outside of Israel's borders. Again, Moses said some 3,308 3, years ago, prior to God would make Israel, um, prior to that, that God would make Israel more prosperous and more numerous than the first state. Um, and we look at uh, Deuteronomy 33 uh, three through 5, where uh, the Jews were scattered worldwide. Later, they would return to their homelands and then their fortunes restored. This prophecy begins to fulfill the modern times during the 1800s when many Jews returned to Israel from as far away as China, the United States, Russia, and South Africa. Since 1948, Israel is one of, uh, among one of the world's most prosperous countries. In 1999, for example, Israel's per capita gross domestic product was twice that um, as prosperous as the neighbors in the surrounding countries. Um, I don't think there's any doubt of uh, how Israel has uh, grown since its uh, initial, um, since 1948. Okay. So, <laughs> I presented a lot of material tonight uh, that deals with the smattering of evidence that validates the Bible um, and the Bible's authenticity and that God, the God who gives us prophecy, he sees and tells us the beginning of the end. So why does he tell us the future? Why does God give us prophecy? It is simply another path for God to provide you with proof of his existence so that you will believe in him. He's in love with you. He's madly in love with you. You are his creation. You are his children. He wants to have a relationship with you as a father desires <clears throat> the deepest intimacy with his child. He gave his all. He gave us his son, Jesus. He died an excruciating and horrible death as an innocent man. He died as a sacrifice to you. You know the story. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the mediator to the Father. No other person speaks to God, the Father, unless it is through Jesus Christ. So we call on him, and we, we want people to cry out and acknowledge Jesus as their Savior, to confess your desires to change and follow him, to believe his story 
the gospel story and to thank him for the gift of eternal life in his kingdom. I don't want to be like the king in the story that I started with who rejected the architect's truth. I don't want to spend a lifetime of confidence in false pillars, walking under what you believe is holding up your world. How many of us are erecting false pillars underneath the arches that God has designed for our lives? How many of us are trusting and believing the architect of our lives, Jesus Christ? How many things of beauty has God put in our lives that, that we have rejected because the Bible was written by man and, crea- and it can't be trusted or it's not real? Maybe it's a loving God would never send anybody to hell. Maybe it's the Bible is irrelevant in today's world. Or is it God understands when I drink too much or eat too much, curse, lie, lust, covet? I don't need to read the Bible because I'm a good Christian. Someone else will take care of that need. Don't believe the false pillars that the world creates. How many of us erect false pillars? In, the lives, in our lives, believing that they provide security and that they are doing nothing. All the while, we're ignoring the truth. So, if I can, we'll pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I ask that your spirit would open our minds open our hearts so that we, may deli- that we may discern the false pillars that we put in our lives or that others have in their lives. That we may see the truth that, would be, that we would be reconciled with you. And Father, it's in your Son's name that we ask these things. Amen. every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.